I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow, and wherever you are in the world, it's great to have you with us for Series 11 of the podcast. Yes, we're growing old gracefully, ladies and gentlemen, and very chuffed that you've stuck with us all this time. And if you haven't already made a little review or given us a little rating on Apple, well, why don't you do it now? There's no time like the present. Uh, And it really helps others find it. We're all for growing the Book Off family. Right then, down to business. And today I'm joined by two wonderful authors who'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on. My first guest is a journalist, an author, who's worked for many publications over her career. These include Tatler, The Evening Standard, The Times, The Telegraph, where she has a weekly column. Here to tell us about her fifth, I think, novel, Looking Out for Love, Sophia Money Money Coots, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And my second guest is an award-winning book publicist who's now Deputy MD of Midas PR Agency, don't you know? She's worked with an array of amazing authors over her career and is one of my oldest book chums, and I mean that we've known each other a long time. She's, she's not old. Here to tell us about her debut novel, The Garnet Girls... It's Georgina Moore. Hello. Hello, Joe. And how am I supposed to come back from that ageist comment? <laughs> I just like We've, to say you're one of. I've known you for probably the longest of my book career. Is Perhaps what I more mean. a reflection on your age than mine. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're true. off to a good start. Yeah. Oh, true. Yes. Setting off, setting the tone early. Serious um, history podcast. And you haven't met before, have you, other than no, now? No. So, Sophia... But we know each other. George. We're friends. It's on... one of those social media... Yeah, you know, yeah. you feel like you know people from Twitter, but yes, not in person. It's strange, that. So. I know. Yeah. But it's so nice to meet you. You do. Um, you won't be saying that later when the when the when the book off happens and, <laughs> and you'll the be gloves the are gloves off. are off. <laughs> and Sophia shows her prep. Oh God, I can't <laughs> believe it. Not. I feel prep. like I've walked into a trap. A few lines in word, not prep. <laughs> So for the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to talk about your two new novels and your writing. We're going to get some book recommendations from you. And as we mentioned, we'll do the book off where each of you gets three minutes uninterrupted to tell us about a book you love and you think everyone should read. And we'll find out what they are soon enough. Um, But George, let's talk about the Garnet Girls, if we may. So as I said, you've worked in publishing for years and years and years, and you're one of the most connected people in the biz. Was it a daunting thought when you put pen to paper initially and thought, oh, I might be going over to the other side here? 
Yes, it really was. Um, it was terrifying. Um, I think it was really only lockdown that made me feel it was now or never mm. because the kind of job I've had, you know, running around, uh, running a press office, touring with authors up and down the country, so many elements of the job disappeared with lockdown. Um, and it just wasn't the whole social side and eventing and touring. And so I sort of thought, and also like many mums and dads around the country, I was faced with the task of online <laughs> learning. Um, and I just thought I can get up early because I'm not, as you know, Joe, I'm not the best at getting the last train home. Um, <laughs> and so when that came out of my life, I was like, oh, I could get up early. And first time in my life I've been an early riser. So I started writing in the mornings. I think I tried not to think too much about what was going to happen down the line. It's just something I'd always wanted to do mm. as a child. And I think if I thought too much, I would get because I have been put off, I have to be honest, by seeing how hard authors have to work firsthand and how much effort goes into spreading the word and how much effort it takes to build an ongoing brand as an author as well and to keep your devoted readers when there's so much competition. Mm. So I think that that even though everything about the world of books and authors I love, I just did feel a bit sort of intimidated by that prospect. Yeah. But then I got it written and my other half, who's a psychotherapist um, and is probably my one of my harshest critics, <laughs> said, uh, and doesn't read commercial fiction either. He's the kind of man that reads The Heart of Darkness over and over again every holiday, uh, said to me, oh, I think you've got something here. And I was like, oh, OK, he might he might he might be right. Mm. Um and so that's when I sort of sent it off on its journey. But half between <laughs> closed <laughs> eyes. <laughs> pressing pressing send, but also, you know, covering the screen at the same time. Yeah. You're an early, you're an early writer as well, aren't you? Yes, I was quite um, comforted to hear that. I always love hearing about how other writers write. Yeah, I'm better. For whatever reason, my brain between like five... Four in you know, is that is really early, but five to eight, I would say, or five to nine, with quite a lot of coffee behind mm -hmm. me, is really my. Those are my golden hours, and I can get, I can get, you know, so I get a thousand or sometimes two thousand words done in that time of day, and then I sort of hit, I hit a, a buffer and run out, and then, but then I think, well, if I've done two thousand words by nine a.m., I can take the rest of the day off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's sort of how I how I work really. <laughs> Um, I want you both to just set up your new novels for us. So, um, George, why don't you tell us about the the three sisters of this novel and their mother and just set up the story for us for those that don't know it yet. So The Garnet Girls, I really wanted to write a book about family uh, and particularly the bond um, between sisters and importantly that complex relationship between mothers and daughters, which I think uh, we all know is there's a real push-pull there. Um, and I think ultimately it's also about the novels about the mistakes our parents make. And, and if we have very charismatic parents, can we escape mm -hmm. the path they want us to go down? So there are three girls, um, the Garnet girls, and they are Imogen, Sasha and Rachel. Um, and when they were young, very young, their father walked out on them. And he was an alcoholic and he was the great love of their mother, Margot's life. And Margot's a piece of work, really. I mean, she is a sort of she's the matriarch. She's running the show. She's very charismatic. She's had this epic love, but she's still having affairs and she's still in the game. She loves a party um, and she's trying to control these girls lives. And what she wants for them is an ordinary husband, you know, a nice, safe man. They're very brilliant, the girls. He'll support them. Um, and 
not be the drunk, sexy poet that she fell in love with, Richard. Um, but of course, this book really picks up at a point where the girls are showing that they don't want to do what their mother wants mm -hmm. them to do. And actually, they might like some of that epic love. Um, so it's really at a point where you're starting to see them try to take control of their own lives. And it's set on the Isle of Wight, it which is. is a place you know very well and love. Was the, Did the setting sort of come first? And, you, and was it the characters? And then you thought, I know where this is going to be. So we go quite a lot because we've got a, a houseboat in the sea. Um, and we use it. We, sturdy. Uh, yeah, sturdy. Uh does what it says on the yeah. tin. <laughs> as, it, um, as you need it to do over there, really. And it's, um, oh, it's called, the boat's called Sturdy. Yeah. Oh, I always said I thought Sturdy was a place on the yeah. Isle of Wight for a minute. Oh, oh okay. sorry, no, no. <laughs> it's a sort of Thames lighter hull with a house on it, okay. yeah. <laughs> and we rent it out. Um, but yes, I was on a beach. I was on one of our favourite beaches, Seagrove Beach, which goes into Priory. And I, there's a big house on the right on the beach. And of course, how many, I mean, I'm sure you both have done this when you're walking out. Oh, I'd live there. I wouldn't live mm. there. Oh, look at that. Come out. And then right on the sand, and it's a big sandy beach, Seagrove. And there was this family coming out to play cricket um, and just walking out of the house. And I just thought, oh, yeah. And I think with lockdown, because I couldn't go to the Isle of Wight and it is my happy place, you know, I love walking the dog on the beach. The mm -hmm. kids love it. I just sort of escaped there and used it as the setting and was sort of vicariously living through their lives. And that, I think that's why there's so many parties in, in the Garnet Girls, because I was <laughs> stuck at home. But yes, it, the setting is very... A lot of people have said to me, which I quite like, that perhaps the, the Isle of Wight tourist board should use the Garnet Girls. <laughs> as a way of <laughs> because, selling it. Yeah, they, yeah. but I, I do think some people might go in the depths of winter and go to the wrong places and think, she's lying, she's lying. <laughs> it's not like that at all. Um, but yeah, I keep saying, I keep saying, I'd love to do a piece about all the great places there are on the Isle of Wight because you can have two very different experiences on the Isle of Wight. Uh, Not going to yes. start going into the no. Isle of Wight tourists. The food as well. Now I want a bacon sandwich from what is it, forty seven? Yeah. Oh, you know, you know the Isle of Wight, bitch. No, I don't. Only through. Oh, through oh right. Book. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. You've the crab and the bacon. I'm just a really greedy person, so I went through loving all the. I mean, I loved oh, it all, I but I really love the food, the, the crab and the bacon crap. sandwiches. You see, the t the tourist board definitely need to pick this up, George, because it's. It was, I think it was Philip, who's the editor of the book, so they said to me. I didn't see that Isle of Wight. <laughs> he said, you've made it sound more like the Hamptons. And I was like, no, if you're there on a beautiful summer's day on yes. Priory with the yachts coming in and having some crab linguine in a gorgeous place overlooking the sea, it can be like that. I'm sticking to my guns. I agree. I've seen the Isle of Wight in all its glory. Right. Yeah. Nicer than the Hamptons, frankly. Yeah. That's I right. don't know. I haven't been. No, no, to be fair, neither right, but I've heard oh. about the Hamptons. Let's say, I think let's it's say it is. Full of quite pretentious people, isn't it? So I feel like... I it's our Hamptons. I feel like if anyone wants to make a film or TV version of the Garnet Girls, hint, hint, yeah. <laughs> um, that they, they, they could quite easily transport it to the Hamptons, to one of those gorgeous clapperboard houses with yes. a jetty. Yes. Dawson's Creek's vibes. Richard Lies, sort of. Well, no, yes. Well, George will have to be there Richard on location, of course. I don't course. know which one that is. Um, what was the one with Reese Witherspoon in Big Sur and oh, Nicole Kidman? Big, big, big Little Lies. Bigger than lies, yeah, yeah. Yes, Reese, if you're listening. Yes, yeah. come on. Oh, she's a big fan of this I, one. I thought she's she a big might fan. Be. That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> we'll, she'll be on. She'll be on soon. You'll have your own chair in the Hamptons, George, for the, for the filming. Um, and Sophia, looking out for love is your latest, and this is a a little different to the books you've written. Before. Yes, I think so. I mean. 
technically, I wanted to write a third-person novel um, and challenge myself with that. So, yes, my heroine is called Stella, and we meet her at the very start, and she's, um, frankly, incredibly annoying at the start. She's very <laughs> beautiful, um, very spoiled. She's the daughter of a care home millionaire who's been bought a flat in Notting Hill where she lives with her best friend. She's sort of everything that we sort of don't like, to be honest. Um, and she's obsessed with finding romantic love. She, because she's grown up in a fairly dysfunctional family, despite the the ponies and the money and the, the care home millions, um, her parents have been quite neglectful. And so she is craving specifically a man and that romantic love, um, even though she's 32 at the beginning of the novel, she still feels like she's been in love a few times, but she hasn't found the one. And so she's craving romantic love. And so the novel then charts... Um, I'm just trying to, trying to talk about it without giving away any spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charts her journey, as people like to say, to finding or to trying to find this love at the same time as hopefully she's she supposedly comes or she does come to a realisation that if you focus so much on romantic love, and I think we all do, I've definitely been guilty of this in the past, not that I'm now 37 and extremely wise. Um, <laughs> if you put romantic love on a pedestal, then you sort of ignore and overlook all the other forms of love around you. Um, you know, the love of family and friends. And I think particularly, maybe actually again, due to sort of lockdown and the pandemic, and I've been single throughout all of that, I've come to value much more the love of my sort of closest pals mm. and my family. They, you know, they drive us mad at times, but we still love them and they love us. Um, and so Stella goes on that journey um, at the same time as she also gets a proper job, well, a sort of proper job for the first time ever, which I would love to talk about, but I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Um, anyway, so there's a so there's there's a there's an affair. This is a private detective agency um, who specialises in affairs in there. So affairs are a theme, um, and there's quite a serious storyline regarding her best friend, which again I don't want to totally go away with because I always want to balance the sort of the lulls. Yeah. With the with the darkness at the same time because that is life, so it's just that it's in a funny. nutshell, really, Jay. And it is funny. The book is <laughs> the book is funny. Oh, good. And hopefully. you know, I laughed. I laughed <laughs> a lot reading it. Yeah, <laughs> but it, the book is not funny. <laughs> I did not laugh when you said there are Channeling humorous Amazon elements. There, Joe. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, I, I wondered about that because you do get the balance and. But it must be important for you to find the humor as well, though, because that's sort of what you want to. Like, that that to me seems. What's crying out from the pages? It is a funny book. I hope so. I think that's important in life, really. I say this all the time. In fact, I think I said that in... I wrote a dating piece recently as part of the promotion, and I think I wrote that, like, you... All of us have to be able to retain our sense of humour and laugh at things, particularly at the moment, I think. You know, mm. the world's been grim for however long, and it doesn't sound like it's going to pick up that much that soon. So I think if you can remember, ultimately, at, at the end of the day, sound like a football manager that life can remain funny. There are bits, and particularly with love, love and sex and all of that, that is that can be very, very funny. I mean, it can be miserable and heartbreaking too, but it can be very funny. And that's, I think that's always what I want to do with all my books is there's got to be a sense of humour yes. running throughout to remind people that, yeah, if you can still laugh, then you've still got something. I want to talk about the piece you wrote for The Times in a minute, if I may. Because <laughs> yep. I know George has read it and I read it, and there is something from there that I just thought, I found it very fascinating. Okay. Um, so I'm going Ooh. to ask you about it in a minute. Um, George, if I can come back to you. Um, somebody, I think, describes your work as escapist, not sentimental. And I think that struck a chord with you, didn't it? And I sort of love that as a description. Yeah, I, I think that's my favourite. And actually, was, someone asked me, I can't remember, for an interview or something, said, are you... Do you are you happy to be called commercial fiction? Do you and I 
I said, God, yeah, I, you know, I want as many people as possible to read my stories. Um, and I know um, how few copies are sold of literary books until they get a prize or mm. you know, that kind of approbation. So, yeah, no, I love and I will tell anyone who's listening that it's commercial. But what I find interesting about that is that you can, just as Sophia just said, you can have, you know, gritty topics just because something's escapist. So yours might be escapist through humour and that lightness of the. Mm. I I hope mine's escapist through setting yeah. and that kind of warmth of family and a, and the big house. Who doesn't love a big crumbling house? Mm. But there are in the Garnet Girls lots of issues yes. uh, and quite hard hitting. And so I think some people have been surprised. And not everyone. What's been quite interesting about the early reviews is not everyone is convinced by flawed characters I, I'm thinking about this because you were saying that your character starts off really annoying yeah um and you know not everyone and I've kind of made my peace with that now that not everyone is going to get or love Margot I personally do because I feel really sympathetically towards her about mm. everything she's gone through I think she has a lot of love for her girls mm. um but she does she is quite narcissistic and the girls are all quite you know high achievers as well so I think you know it's quite interesting how different people interpret. But to go back to your question, I do like this idea that it's not sentimental, but that it is something that you could take to the beach and get fully absorbed in. Yeah, totally. I just love that. I, I picked up on that phrase and I thought that is mm. absolutely perfect yeah. for yeah. this book and po possibly for future books as well, yes. um, which you are possibly writing on your lovely writing boat. I have. I've got Betsy, the writing boat. I both now. Have I you seen? Have you seen this, Sophia? Oh, right. Know about Sturdy and Betsy. Yeah. yeah, that's so great. As someone said really, really sharply to me, oh. I think probably you should stop banging on about your three boats. <laughs> three. <laughs> three two. boats, George. I live on a houseboat on the um, Tags Island, just down from Hampton Court Palace, oh. and at the back of it, I have moored a little, tiny little canal boat. Called Betsy, which I've turned into a writing this office. Is amazing. Who else has a writing boat? I know, right? Not many people. That's great. And I thought it'd be quite good for PR, me being a book publicist <laughs> and all. <laughs> and, anyone, and for writing, I assume. Anyone would think I had a strategy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So it, Betsy is, and so the second book, I won't say too much about it, but it is set on a houseboat island. Oh. So it has been perfect with the kind of heron coming over my head and the coops oh. all landing. And so I, I hope I'll be able to get that setting um and it's it's very dear to my heart as well uh living on the river yeah um, oh, i'm obviously imagine. the greedy water person that needs to always be by water <laughs> i don't know what it is people keep asking me about it but there you go and if anyone wants to see betsy uh just look at george's social media because there's some great photos yeah. of, of you writing in there as well as oh, uh, when she was first built okay, i'm gonna have a look there's a yeah. I, i'm in sorry to plug my articles no no i'm in good <laughs> housekeeping <laughs> magazine okay. this month on is life really better on houseboats and there is a picture of me standing on betsy okay sweet. Mm. there you go there you go there what's you the go. conclusion yeah. well i think it is yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Some people probably think it'd be mad, especially when the pipes freeze or you have to rescue a football for the eighth time from the river. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Sophia, um, we like the London Library, don't we? That's, we that's love our, the London oh, Library, yeah. So Sophia, we, we don't have a Betsy, mm. but we do have a London Library. Which... I go, slightly embarrassing because of my bad back at the moment, I have these cushions that I, I keep in the coat racks. You know the coat racks? I'm not sure. Yeah. There's quite a stern sign saying, please do not leave anything here overnight. And I've been leaving my back cushions and my seat pad there for months. And, you know, the London Library, the ages. It's quite yeah. mature, I would say, some people who work in there. And I feel like such a sort of geriatric 900-year-old taking my seat cushions upstairs and putting them down on my seat at the beginning and clipping the back bit on. It's really <laughs> so tragic. I know! 
I know. It's really oh, sad. <laughs> but um, yes, I like working there with my seat pad and my. Seat yeah, you see you've got your seat pad. In there. Do you well, spot? we were saying actually, no, Joe. I think spotted more people than me. I have spotted um, well, a couple of writers. Um, um, I spotted Phil Ede, who's a writer, um, and apparently. Oh, I'm going to really embarrass myself now. It's either Sharma or Starkey, and I can't remember which one, so I hope he's not listening. Um, he won't be he listening. Does, I was he's saying, a regular listener. <laughs> I was really embarrassed because I was shopping for a new pair of trainers, and um, I was on, so my laptop screen was just on the Allbirds <laughs> website, and I was I could see either Sharma or Starkey upstairs with a big pile of books, and I think, God, I'm really letting the London Library down. Not only have I got my seat pad and my seat cushion, but I'm shopping for trainers. <laughs> and, Sh- and Sharma slash Starkey's there with like a pile of really in- intellectual books. books. Books, I yeah, think I'm yeah. the least erudite uh, person, probably member of the library. But anyway, I love it. It's very warm. It is so. very warm. <laughs> who's right who's been made director of it? We've, Helena Bonham oh, Carter. God, I love yeah. that woman. I haven't seen her yet. I'd love to see her. I love her. No, she. I haven't spotted her yet. Oh. Being around, she's amazing, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. she's fab. Yeah, yeah. So that she, she would be our prize. Spot, She'd be a great though, spot. I think she'd make a great Margot. Oh, <gasps> she Helena. Is you're she listening? old enough? Well, Mar- yeah, I mean, Margot's turning only 59. She's yes. turning 60. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not that, yeah. yeah she'd, be, she'd, be... she'd make a great. Oh, I can just, yeah. So, so hang on, let me just get this right. we're, we're filming in the Hamptons. Manifesting. Helena Von Carter is Margot, and you've got your own chair. Yeah? Yeah. That, okay. Potentially, I've got a fourth boat. <laughs> the fourth boat. <laughs> the fourth boat coming. If it all goes well, you never know. <laughs> We're, hey, we're happy to help you out on this oh, journey, so George. Good. I want a boat. <laughs> oh, Sophia, come with me. Live the boat life. Live with the me. boat life, Sophia. Live the boat life. Um, I'd love to know what you've been um, reading and enjoying recently. We always like to give a little shout out to some of our fellow authors. Um, I know you read a gazillion things, George. Is there anything that stuck out recently you want to shout about? Yes. So I have just read This Family by Kate Sawyer. So she wrote a book that was Costa Longlisted, The Stranding. Um, oh, yeah. And she's a wonderful writer. And I do love Family Saga and often wish that, you know, a lot of the, the books I go to are American, actually, in that area. From Anne Tyler, The Claire Lombard mm. and The Most Fun Most Fun We Ever Had. Brilliant, brilliant book. Those kind of books, The Paper Palace. Paper Palace, I was about to say. Yeah. Oh. So it's so great to have some UK writers doing it. And Kate is a brilliant, brilliant writer. And it's basically the story of a family who are being brought back together a reunion on a summer's day but it shifts between the past and the present and so you learn and they're two sisters who basically have had a big falling out and she does that brilliant timeline so that you it builds the tension it's all about the mum wanting to have them back together again and there's a house so basically it's got everything I love in a book she's just so good at it so I love that and then um, Veronica Henry's got a new book coming out uh, 30 Days in Paris it's called and I picked it up because I'd finished Emily in Paris <laughs> and I don't care what anyone says about Emily in Paris I absolutely love that programme I love the setting I love the clothes <laughs> I love it just makes me feel great and I picked up um, Ronnie Henry's book. Ronnie's a great writer, and oh, it's just like this is like Emily in Paris. It's so great. Oh, nice. Yeah. So those two, I would recommend. Thirty Days in Paris, Veronica Henry, and This Family by Kate Sawyer. Sawyer, brilliant. Lovely recommendations. What about you, Sophia? What have you been reading? Um, bit more downbeat in some ways, but um, We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman, which I had seen, you know, on Twitter for a few months, and people saying lots of lovely things about it, and had vaguely sort of gathered what it was about two best friends one is dying in hospice which makes it obviously not sound like a laugh a minute and yet somehow it is 
it is, I mean, it is obviously very sad, but at moments it is also incredibly uplifting. And the relationship between these two best friends is so moving and so detailed. Catherine Newman's observations, the sort of minutiae of friendships that have, this friendship has lasted since they were both at sort of junior school together. It's it's set in America. Um, it's just, it's so beautifully done and written and so moving. And and also I laughed a lot as well. Mm. Again, again, she actually, this is a, it's a masterclass in how to do the lightness and the darkness at once. Um, so I would recommend that to everyone and anyone. Um, and I think the other thing that I'm actually, I'm probably nearly, I'm probably two thirds through is, it's really unoriginal, but it's really good actually by Monica Heisey because I love it and she's so brilliant. Um, and I, again, had seen this being everywhere and obviously she wrote for Shit's Greek and she's very funny. And I just look at, and also the way she structured it as well, like there are lots of, bits where she does her Google list of that day and it's just a very clever idea and it is the sort of ephemera that we all Google and hope never comes to light <laughs> but her character Maggie you know obviously she just writes down the whole list or she writes down all of her messages on one day from Tinder when she's trying Tinder she plays um, a newly divorced um, young woman and it's again very 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 funny and brilliant it's one of those books I sit there thinking god that's annoying I didn't think of that <laughs> I mean, clever Monica I really want to read Monica I've read Impossible Things I thought I concur I concur yeah. It's beautiful, beautifully. We awesome. all want impossible things. That's by Catherine Newman. Catherine Newman. And the Monica Heisey book is is uh, really good, actually. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thank you both for those recommendations. And believe it or not, it's time for another because it's time for the book off, where each of you is going to get three minutes uninterrupted, if you please, uh, to tell us about a book you love and that you think we should all read. Now, we always say this can be anything. It can be non-fiction. It can be fiction. It can be old. It can be new. It can be a children's book. It can be poetry. Anything you want. You just have to love it and want to put it in everyone's hands. And before we hear what you're putting forward and get into it, we've got a bit of admin to do. Um, we always say the person who's travelled the furthest gets to choose if they go first or second now tags island versus crystal palace what are we thinking i actually have no idea because my geography is i think it's probably you george 
by a whisper. So you get to decide if you go first or second. I'll go first, yeah. Okay. Stepping up to the plate, uh, which means, Sophia, that you get to choose your weapon here. So when the three minutes is up, if you're still talking, I'm either going to honk you out with the bicycle horn or ring you out with the school bed. Or oh, it's got to be the bicycle horn. It's the, it's the horn. Do we have a clock? I have a clock. Oh, Benny Hill So you can style. give me a warning. Would you like a warning? Well, yeah, I have no clue what three minutes is. No. What would you like? Would you it like goes a sort of, um, think, I think. like a 30 seconds to go kind yeah, of vibe? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Just a little wave. I can do that for you. Yeah, I can do that, George. Um, and before... <laughs> I'm quite nervous. You should be. Um, but you've got notes. <laughs> I'm just winging it. <laughs> um, you don't have to use all three, remember. It's okay if you bring it in under. Um, but I'll give you the 30 second warning. And if you're still talking... At the three-minute mark, you're going to get a bit of that. Just before we start the clock, though, uh, tell us which book you're putting forward. By Grand Central Station, I sat down and wept. (laughs) By Elizabeth Smart. It is. I love this book. Okay, over to you then. Three minutes uninterrupted to tell us uh, about the Elizabeth Smart book. Over to you. So when you're a bookish nerd, the dream is to walk into a bookshop and find something that you've never heard of, never seen, never heard anyone talking about. And that happened to me in my 20s when I walked into Gower Street, Waterstones and found this tiny little book by Grand Central Station. I sat down and wept. And um, there's a quote on the back by Michael Andrassi. I don't, I've, said, I've said that wrong, but I haven't got time to go back. <laughs> saying that at, at one point, every great reader discovers this book, which I loved because I was like, I'm a great reader. Um, It is a 1945, I would call it a prose poem. It's very, very short. Uh, It's absolutely stunning. And it is about uh, the gorgeous Elizabeth Smart's affair with a married poet, George Barker. Um, I won't distract you now with stories of the Barker family, but it is a fascinating one. Um, One of the children of is Raphaela Barker, who's also a wonderful writer. So there's a long lineage. And if you're interested in literary families, which I absolutely am, this is a great story. And George Barker was a bit of a piece of work. Uh, And if you look at photos of Elizabeth Smart, you will see that she looks, she's got Grace Kelly vibes going on. She's absolutely beautiful. And this is her affair with the married poet. And it basically has that... I love reading about affairs, but when there is great damage involved, let's be honest, there's nothing more thrilling or dramatic or just edge of the seat. And basically, when he is mad, she invites him to stay with her because she's admired him from afar. And he comes with his Catholic poor wife who's just lost a child. I mean, it's horrendous. And it's all about this imminence of them about to go for it and give in to their passion. And the the language, the metaphors, is literally probably some of the most stunning language I've ever read in my life. It's kind of got this sort of sword of Damocles hanging over her head. And the landscape becomes alive with their passion. And there are just these moments. And it's not really a plotted story in that way. It's a story that you follow by her feeling. Uh, and there is this, and, and at that time, in 1945, they shouldn't have been together. They weren't allowed to be together. They had to cross in a car across the border so that they could go and have sex. So that's the kind of, you know, that's what you're dealing with there. And you just know she knows that she's about to do something so bad, so wrong, but she can't help herself. She's been in love with this man, this poet, with his words from afar for so long. And so that is basically the setup. And it has very, very dramatic, tragic ending. And we'll pull you into a whole hole of studying about Elizabeth Barker and the poets. Oh, 
20 seconds to go. Look at that. Total pro. Am what? I really ignorant if I've never even heard of it? Not at all. Okay. Not at I'm all. I'm excited about that. That's the whole I point of like this yeah. podcast and... The, yeah. gr- the joy of of people recommending books, isn't it? Nice. That we all discover something that we haven't. Have read. you read it? I have, mm. and I will. We'll come back and talk about it. So in poets, a minute. obviously, thing for you. I love poets. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, we'll come and talk about it properly in a minute, George. You're gonna have a breather now okay, because just... I'm putting uh, three yeah. minutes back on the clock for you, Sophia. And before we right, get... hang on, I'm just gonna open up my prop device. Oh yeah. Oh, so the notes, um... the notes have got to come out. Hold on. It's just so I can, if I get stuck. Understood. Then I can glance. Oh, it's okay. It's all good. We've had we've had people with notes. We've had people with little Speeches. scraps of paper. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. it's all it's all go here. Before we start the three minutes, just tell us the book that you're putting forward, please. The book that I'm putting forward is The Five by Hallie Rubenhold. Fantastic. All right. Three minutes on the clock. Then uninterrupted to tell us about The Five. So The Five is a book that I read relatively recently. I'm working on something Victorian at the moment, so it was really for research purposes and it's about the five women who Jack the Ripper killed and uh, Hallie Rubenhold is a historian and um, she well it's it's the whole point is we don't know anything about these women we know so much about Jack the Ripper or theories about Jack the Ripper and I grew up in London I've grown up seeing you know his silhouette on things I went to the London dungeons when I was little you we hear all these we sort of not fantasized, but he's very mythologized and not revered, but he's, you know, a big character. And yet who were these five women that he, that he killed? So this book really challenges that whole idea that the murderer is the one that we should remember. And actually who were these poor women who were murdered so brutally in 1888? And I, the research that Hallie Rubenhold has gone to, has done is incredible I did history at university and so and I love history I love historical novels but the the detail that she manages to uncover from these five women who were mostly working class women um, and she has traced their every footstep practically from birth until their grisly end in Whitechapel or within a few months and you feel like it's one of those historical novels or not novels it's non-fiction books where you feel like you're sort of chasing their dirty hems of their dresses because you're so close to them and she uncovers their sort of tragic tragic um stories and the whole point is at the time they were sort of dismissed because they they were deemed just prostitutes and so it's sort of revisionist history in a way because she's saying well they were women what does it mean they're just prostitutes and there's there's a chapter basically or a few chapters devoted to each one chronologically in terms of their murders but then at the end of this book it's the most powerful closing chapter of a book that I've read in a long time where it's almost like Hallie's the sort of defense barrister in the case and she's saying well they might have they a they weren't just prostitutes they were women and so much of of how we think about women or how women are still treated these days relates to then. And, you know, people still set up women as Madonnas or whores, which they were very much doing then. Um, and she argues that we're sort of, by by still allowing Jack the Ripper tours and the whole mythology, we're still sort of allowing his violence and forgetting these victims. So she really gives these five victims a voice. And I think it's being turned into a series or a film, hopefully, because I can see how it would work really well. And it's just it's just very, very, very powerful. And you can smell and see and hear the streets of Victorian London, which I love. I've always loved Victorian London. So um, I would urge every woman, well, everyone really, to to read it because it's it's very, very impactful. Fantastic. Oh, I really want to read that. It's so good. I didn't think I would enjoy it. I didn't realise how much I would enjoy it. And it's, mm. yeah, it just is. The 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 detail, it's amazing. And the sort of grizzliness. God, you is were... out now then? Yeah, it's been oh, out. And it's it won out. the Bailey yeah. Gifford. Yeah. It won the Bailey Gifford oh, Prize okay. a few years yes, ago. I think I saw it. Yeah, that. you might recognise... Yeah, I'm sure you'd recognise the cover. It's just, it's brilliant. It's a, it's a very stunning or striking cover actually and you would you oh, would recognize it? yeah and mm. um it got it, it won the Bailey Gifford you said but mm. but also pre that had got 
had sort of had this running um or as i recall anyway it was like people had started talking about it and but and it had been out for a while but then more and more people were discovering it it's like suddenly, a slow burn oh, yeah, yeah it became this sort of uh, book that lev- mm. everyone started talking about i read the concluding chapter again this morning on the way here and i just it is it is like she's doing the defense in a in a case and it's it's just really powerful yeah. about how we still think about women it's so interesting because we know i know nothing about the women well exactly, exactly yeah. they even their names and one of them came from sweden and had a horrible time she sort of obviously was sort of raped and got syphilis and then she moved she left sweden to come to london and they just women basically then you know it was not much fun particularly yeah. working class women so no. yeah fabulous pitch um we'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment but i want to return to by grand central station i sat down and wept so my friend Yelena, my wonderful friend, gave me this book. Uh, lent it to me, I think, maybe, or gave it to me quite a few years ago. I knew nothing of it. Um, and you've got the exact same copy as I have there, George, with that stunning sort of cover. Mm. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, I'll get, I think I, ju- I just, just like in an afternoon, and I thought, oh, I'll just start it. Mm. But you can't start it. I mean, you can, but you, you're essentially going to just finish it, aren't you? Mm. Because it is... I remember the experience being like I had just been bowled over like this language that you you mentioned this stunning language this sort of are amazing oh wow. and it's non it doesn't stop no. it sort of just drags it, it it sort of pulls you in and then it's just it's sort of breathless isn't yeah it? like breathless, yeah. breathless like a passion yeah and it's like you the extremity of feeling the intensity of feeling is in the language and in the landscape because it's all about, you know, I, think, I remember she's standing by a pool and he comes and kisses her and she talks about the kind of dripping water and yes. everything's kind of just basically, it's almost like a landslide of the of the landscape. It reflects the passion of her feelings. Completely. Um, and, and she uses a lot of literary, like Homer, literary metaphor that just should be pretentious. <laughs> she gets away with it. But she gets away with it because... <laughs> It's so authentically felt. Yes. And also because she's a masterpiece of of metaphor and language, yeah. I think. Oh, I agree. I, I, I think it's a, a genuine masterpiece. When I read it, I was, you know, when I finished it, I was just sort of flabbergasted. I was like, I don't know what's just happened there. But one thing I haven't done, actually, George, is, is reread it. Mm. And hearing you talk about it just then in the pitch, I was like, why haven't I done that? Yeah. Because I think... I think it's because it's so rich or I found yeah. it so sort of rich and intense. You probably get loads out loads, of it on, yeah. on rereads. Yeah, actually. I've read it, reread it about eight, ten times. Yeah. I, I also then read a biography of her, ah, which okay. is fascinating. Okay. But it it is, uh, I'm afraid, linking back to five women, yes. a, a story of really the, the hardship of being a literary, you know, they, they sort of went to Soho together mm. Um but she never got the recognition he did. And then he leaves her. Uh, and um, he is with, who wrote O Caledonia? He he then went to that lady. Um, she's another amazing writer. O My Caledonia. Uh, oh, another that? Elizabeth. Another Elizabeth. Um, we'll find out. We'll find Hold out. Uh-oh. That was his, that was the, the next lover. Yeah, the next wife, as that it wife. were. And so she was sort of abandoned and lived on her own in this house. In 40s, we're saying. Yeah. Um, Elspeth Barker Elspeth Barker yeah yeah yeah. so who was also a writer Mm. and all the women connected with him never really had the kind of limelight he had and yet there are a lot of people who think he's a bit of an average poet to be honest (laughs) I just got to say sorry George oh man so that was not at the best (laughs) fate she was sort of left living on her own um, with the children visiting and stuff but it's interesting to read about her 
Yeah, I'd, I'd probably like to do that. Mm. So it, was a, it was a biography. Yeah, uh, there's only one, but yeah, it's really good. Oh, great, because I, yeah, I... Oh. God, it's been a few years now since mm. I read it, and it's when when you told me that you were going to put mm. that one forward, it's I sort of brought it all back, so I got very excited. Um, and with the five, um, Sophia, I mean, yeah, I, I have read this book, and I came quite late to this book because I, I don't know if it resisted it was the is the right term, but you know, it it was this sort of word of mouth thing mm. that was building and building, and I kept going. Oh, and everyone was, have you read it yet? And I thought, oh, no, so I'll get to it. And finally did, I think a couple of weeks before it then won the Berlin Cafe. And I was like, oh, right, I see what everyone's been banging on about now. Because actually you, even in your pitch, sort of met, said fiction. Yes. But it, it, it could it could be fiction. It, it sort of could feeling. be fiction. It's got that feel of of being it's, that. It could be sort of Sarah Walters' novel. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Exactly that. Sort yes. of that stinking, poverty-ridden streets of Victorian London. Totally. That, exactly that feel. And you're not wrong about the research, you know. It, oh you my can God. tell how much she's done. <laughs> it's you incredible know. that she just charts, you know, all these women who it's very, you know, rich women in history much easier to follow. Mm. Working class women in the Victorian times, how she has managed to plot their movements. And there's one, one who um, travels the country with a, they're sort of singing with her dodgy boyfriend. They're sort of singing. What would they have been? Um, singing. Well, sort of, yes, I was going to say minstrels, but I don't know if that's right. Well, yeah, and they and and they she follows them up and down the country and really knows their movements. And oh. I was thinking, God, that yeah, that research no. is is how would she incredible. have done that? I don't know. London Library, Hallie, if you're listening, probably in the London Library. Well, <laughs> that's why there's a bit, bit less time on <laughs> yeah. shopping. She wasn't she, buying trainers when she was writing no. this. Not faffing around she with a back cushion. Um, <laughs> probably exactly that. Yeah, it's really painstaking research, and it really brings it to life and I suppose yes going back to that joke it's not the sort of book that you necessarily think oh I can't wait to fall into bed no, with no, that no. To begin before you start it and then it then it is it's completely gripping in a way that lots of historical lots of history books kind of aren't necessarily as page turnery as this mm. if they're sort of heavier and more plodding but this really is brilliant I think that's why I didn't go to it straight away because I thought that might be the case I thought yeah. it might be a bit sloggy and it isn't mm -mm. and actually it, I, th I think it's a really important book yeah I think you know for all those reasons you mentioned. And she barely mentions him, and I didn't realise until I was sort of thinking about coming on today, <laughs> she doesn't describe their murders really either. It's, it's very much, she gives the voice to the women and completely ignores women, him, yeah. which is mm -hmm. as it should be, really. That As I said, we don't hold him up and we don't go on Jack the Ripper tours and we yeah. don't, the sort of ripperology shouldn't really be a thing. Mm -hmm. no. It is amazing, isn't it, to mm. think about it, especially, you know, we're here in, in recording this in London and you live in London and mm. it's... It, it, he is around. Like he is, yeah. yeah. He, we we just sort of don't think about it as mm. much. Oh, a murderer! How glamorous. Yeah, grow. Oh, go on. <laughs> they let's, were only prostitutes. Yeah, let's yeah, pay some crazy. money to go and follow in his footsteps. Mm. Weird, Creepy, isn't it? I think I know someone who once got taken on Jack the Ripper tour for the sort of early date. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> oh, probably quite a bad sign. That's isn't alarm it? bells. <laughs> I don't think she ended up with him, luckily. Probably wise. Are you sure he didn't become a boring husband? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the fate worse than death. Yes, actually. Don't look at Joe because he gets No, gets she didn't paranoid. look at me that time. Staring straight ahead. Yeah, very good. Um, well, I love both of those. I think two fabulous and very different books, two great pictures as well. Um, but do you, know, do you know what? I've got to take Elizabeth Smart. <laughs> Elizabeth Smart. Uh, I love that you're going to reread it. Fact that yeah, I want to reread it. You hearing you talk about it, George, just just reignited everything I loved about reading it the first time, and you really really sold it to me. Um, and having read the five as well, I can 
wholeheartedly recommend that. Mm. I think it is absolutely a book that should be read, and you shouldn't be put off if you think it's going to be a sort of mm. slog. I'm definitely mm. historical. Go, I think yeah, you'd love it, George. It's brilliant. I think yeah. you'd love it. It's really, it's really well written. Mm. Um, loved both of those recommendations. Thank you so much. And here's two more for you: The Garnet Girls by Georgina Wall, which is out now. It's published by HQ, and Looking Out for Love by Sophia Moneycoots. It's also out now, and it's also published by HQ. <laughs> Can you believe it? They're doing well. Um, what an absolute pleasure to have you both on the podcast. Loved we could it. we could sit and spend hours. We could, uh, but time is is sadly up. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.